0: Well, have you uh, ever had too much money? <laughs> now, before you, before you laugh at me and uh, think that you can immediately answer that question, think about a time maybe you were downtown uh, and there was a parking meter that only took quarters and uh, all you had was a $5 bill. What was your problem in that moment? You had too much money. You needed to make some change, or maybe it's in your office, and you had a vending machine there, and it took dollar bills, but your dollar bill was never quite good enough. You know those the one I'm talking about? So, so you tried all you could to get the dollar bill straight and stick it in, but it would never take it, and all you wanted was you know, a package of M&Ms, and they were 50 cents, and, but you had a dollar. You had too much money. See, there's something about our mind that thinks we can never have too much money. Uh, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. And actually, the entire witness of Scripture speaks about money a lot. And there's a really simple reason why. Because Jesus made a connection. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. There's a connection between what goes on inside of us when we think about money and our attitudes about money and our spiritual life. Those two things are are deeply, deeply connected. So much so that if we are truthful, the way that we spend our money, the way that we think about our money, has a lot to do with what we believe about God. We believe that God is either the great provider and sustainer that he is sufficient or we don't believe that and that has a real impact on the way you pay your bills how you choose to spend your money from day to day and how much you may worry or think about money and here's what's interesting if you consider this When you are able to understand the way that you think, the way that people think about money and the attitudes that produce the way we behave with our money, you get a real insight, a window into somebody's soul. I had a friend in Texas who used to say, he said, the the way that you can know what's in somebody's heart is to look in their checkbook. And I have thought, ooh, I hope that's not True. I mean, haven't you had times like that where you'd think, if you looked at my checkbook, I wouldn't want you to think that that was a reflection of my heart. But so many times, that is exactly what it is. Our attitude about our money and the way we spend our money gives us a window into our souls. And that creates the potential for us to create change, to make change the way we think about money, the way we act with our money, and ultimately what that will do is it can make change inside of us in our relationship with God, with our family, in our community, and ultimately around the world. Listen to something that Christian Smith said. He wrote a book called Passing the Plate. Uh, The reference may be obvious. Obviously, we just passed the plate at church. Uh, He is highly critical of churches in America and Christians in America in the way That we Christians spend and use our money. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're off the hook. You can stand on the outside looking in. But listen to what he said. I think it's true. If American Christians, he's not talking about any other culture. If American Christians were to give from their income generously, not lavishly, mind you, only generously, they could transform the world starting right away. Ordinary American Christians have within their power and capacity to foster massive and unprecedented spiritual, social, cultural, and economic change that closely reflects their values and their interests. In order to achieve such dramatic, world-transforming change, ordinary American Christians simply need to do one thing. Start giving reasonably, generously from their income. Let us say 10% from their post-tax income. Fostering such change could begin immediately. It would not require getting Congress or the United Nations to act. It would not require a military mobilization or waiting for a majority turnover in the Supreme Court. It would only require ordinary Christians from one country To start doing something that seems entirely within their power and that most of them, according to the teachings of their own faith tradition, ought to already be doing anyway. Give generously from the financial resources with which they have been blessed. See, what Christian Swartz is saying is that if Christians... We're not even talking about people who aren't Christian, but if just people who claim to be Christians, who claim that God's word is the direction for their life, if just they would do what they say they believe, it would foster huge change, not just in our country, but in our world. He, he, he goes on to show with the numbers how, uh, how every person on the planet could have clean drinking water. There would be no such thing as hunger. If just Christians in one country were to do what they claim they believe ought to be done, which is to give generously. So here's what we're going to do for the next several weeks. We're going to talk about making change. And when I say making change, obviously we're referring to how we view and what we think about finances and our money. But it's so much bigger than that. Because I believe if we could make a few key changes in our attitudes about money, it would have a spiritual implication for our life, but it could also have a huge implication for the world around us. And so many people who may be opposed to the gospel that we preach would see in the church's generosity the generous God they claim to worship. And so we want to look at this idea of making change And so I hope you'll join us each week. We're going to do so from one passage of Scripture, three simple verses. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll be looking at verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. We'll be here for the next five weeks. We're going to look at different aspects of these verses. So you can go ahead and mark this in your Bible and we'll come back to it for the next few weeks. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Now Paul had planted a church in the city of Ephesus. But Paul never stayed with any one church for a long time. He was called by God to plant churches in parts of the world where they had not heard the gospel. And so Ephesus was a city where this church had begun to grow. And he handed the keys of the church over to a young man named Timothy. And Timothy uh, was a new pastor. He'd never led a congregation before. He himself was only a recent convert to Christianity. And so Paul wrote two letters that we have recorded in our Bible to Timothy to give him instructions about how to pastor this church. You have them in your Bibles as 1 and 2 Timothy. And in this particular passage, Paul's giving some very practical advice to Timothy as he is leading this church. Here's what he says, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now that sounds like pretty good advice. and, and here, But here's the problem for us reading this today. It's the first five words, and that's all I want to focus on today. The first five words of this passage say, command those who are rich. And we immediately think we're off the hook, don't we? Because nobody in here thinks they're rich. And so we think, well, Paul's talking about somebody else. Because he's surely not talking about me. Have you seen my checking account balance? Do you know the bills, the money that I owe? This passage is not talking about me. Here's what Andy Stanley says in his book, How to Be Rich. Rich is the other guy. Rich is that other family. Rich isn't just having extra. Rich is having as much extra as the person who has more extra than you currently have. (laughs) If that's the case, you can be rich and not know it. You can be rich and not feel it. And you can be rich and not act like it. And that is the problem. That we think this isn't talking to me because I'm not rich. Because somebody always has more than you, don't they? Gallup did a poll not too long ago where they asked those that they surveyed to define rich. And almost every person who responded to the survey defined rich as being twice as much money as the person defining it made. So if the person defining it made $30,000, guess how much rich was? $60,000. If the person made $60,000, guess how how much money they defined would make them rich? Got to do a little math this morning. $120,000. That's right. And, And it goes on. Everybody always defined rich as being twice what they had. And you know this is true from your own experience. Take yourself back 10 or 20 years. And, of course, for some, your lifestyle and your circumstances change. This may not apply to everybody. But if you go back 20, 25, 30 years, and go back as far as you need to go, there's some point in your life where you thought the amount of money you make in 2014, if you could make that much money, you'd be rich. But what happened? It's like chasing the carrot at the end of the stick, isn't it? Every time you made more money, the definition of rich moved, didn't it? It became more and more. This is sort of embedded into our culture, and there's a reason for this. If any of you ever took a psychology class, you may remember uh, reading or hearing about a man named Abraham Maslow, and he had something that he developed called the hierarchy of need. And in this hierarchy of need, the, the concept's pretty simple. He said that the human body, the human mind, the way that we're designed, we are designed to desire and strive for whatever the next level of our need is. So if you don't have food, guess what becomes the most important thing for you? Food. If you don't have shelter, guess what becomes the most important thing for you to find? Shelter. If you're not safe, if there's insecurity at all, the most important thing for you to find is security. But what happens in our culture? For the most part, we feel safe. For the most part, All of us may go go someplace tonight and we will have a place to sleep that is out of the rain. Now, it won't be the same kind of shelter, but but for most of us, we can find a place to sleep tonight where we can get in from outside of the weather. For most of us, not only do uh, do, do do we have the resources to eat lunch, we have the resources to eat whatever kind of lunch we want. So what happens for us is our hierarchy of need, we go to the next thing, don't we? So it's not just about having shelter. Now it's about having enough room for everybody to have a little space. It's not just about having food. It's about having the kind of food that you want to have. There's something hardwired into us. And so wants turn to needs. And when our needs are met, our appetites do not turn off, do they? This is why you can eat a huge meal. And what happens three hours later? you're just hungry again. And have you ever noticed the more you eat, the hungrier you are? That's because when you seek to satisfy your needs, it doesn't eliminate the appetite. Many times all we're doing is feeding an appetite and it gets bigger. This is how addictions start. It just takes a little bit and you satisfy the appetite, but the next time, guess what? It takes more than that, doesn't it? Because our appetites continue to drive us. And it's not just true on an individual level. It's also true on a nationwide, on a society-wide level. Do you realize in our culture today, unlike any other culture that exists in the world, unlike any other time in all of human history, we in America have the ability for one person to work for five days maybe 40 hours, and from that one person working to provide seven days worth of lifestyle for multiple people. It's never been that way, ever. And in most of our world today, it is not that way. One person has to work one day for one day's worth of survival. That's how it works in most of our world. And yet for us, many of us are blessed that maybe one person, maybe two people are able to work and provide for five, in my case, six people live in our house. And we live in that house all seven days and we eat all seven days. And Sherry and I go to work and we only work five days. That is is unique in human history. And so it's hard for us to understand that we are rich. We are rich. By the rest of the world's standards, uh, folks in most of the world make less, live off of less than $2 a day. Now, I'm going to make a statement, and I'm going to bring up a, a reference that goes a couple years ago. Some of you might think it's political. I don't mean it political, because both political sides do this. When an election is coming, they, they start to try to, to try to pit people against each other. And so you remember a couple years ago in the election, there was this thing about the 1%. Remember that? that, that the 99% of the world uh, lives off of the resources and uh, 1% of the world lives off 99% of the resources and 99% of the world is poor. Here's the problem. Nobody in America is is in the 99%. We're all in the 1%. Every one of us are in the 1%. But we don't feel that way, do we? Because there's always somebody who has more than we have. And until we have as much as they have, we'll never believe that we're rich. And here's what Christian Smith points out in his book, Passing the Plate. The richer people become, the smaller the percentage of money that they give away. That's a heart problem. That's an appetite problem. That's an appetite that has grown out of control. And so we'll never obey God's commandment to rich people because we deny that we're rich. That doesn't apply to me. And listen, until we are satisfied in him, our hearts will never be satisfied at all. Let me say that one more time. Until we are satisfied in him, our hearts will never be satisfied at all. So here's the solution. Acknowledge what 90% of the world already knows is true about you. You are rich. You are rich. And, and I know that grates against you. You think, well, that's easy for you to say because you make more money than I make. And that may be true, but it doesn't change the facts that we have been blessed beyond what anybody in history has ever been blessed with. And what most of the world, even in this day, is blessed with, we are rich. And the first change that we have to make in our attitude is is denying this false sense of poverty that comes out of an overstimulated appetite and confess what the Bible says is true about us and what 90% of the world says is true about us. We are rich. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say it with me. I am rich. Ready? Say it. I am rich. Now, some of you didn't say it, so we're going to do it again. Ready? Say it. I am rich. Now I want you to turn to the person next to you, look them in the eye, and tell them, you are rich. Do it. Now. Now ask them to take you to lunch after church. <laughs> let, me give you, let me give you two biblical examples from the teachings of Jesus that I think will illustrate this because i know some of you here are on fixed incomes and you say i make less money now than i did make 10 or 20 years ago and i'm barely making it and i might not know where my next meal is coming from it doesn't change what i know to be true about you there was this encounter that jesus had and he was in the temple and and there were lots of wealthy folks in the temple And people were making their offerings, and they were making a show of their offerings and how much money they were putting in. And almost unnoticed by everybody in the room, there was this little widow who came up, and she just put two small copper coins in the offering. And Jesus said, fellas, look, I want you to look at, did you notice that? That woman gave more than everybody else gave, to which the disciples said, what are you talking about, Jesus? She just put in two little coins, And Jesus said, the other people gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. She gave more. Why? Because she knew something was true about herself. She was rich. There's a parable that Jesus tells that almost gives the opposite understanding of this. And it's a common, familiar parable. It's the story of the talents. It's a couple, in a couple of the Gospels, but the story goes like this. There was a landowner who had three servants and the landowner was going out of town. So he went to the first servant and he said, I'm gonna give you 10 talents, which was a measure of money in that day and age. He said, I want you to take care of these 10 talents while I'm gone. The second servant he goes to and he says, I'm gonna give you five. You take care of this while I'm out of town. And to the other servant, he said, I'm gonna give you two. Take care of this while I'm gone. He goes out of town. He's gone for a long time. He finally comes home and he goes to settle up with his with his servants and he goes to the first guy who we would say now that's that guy's rich right he's rich he had 10 talents now let me remind you they weren't his he understood that but he had 10 talents and so he comes back to the he comes back to his boss he says boss uh you gave me 10 i invested it i made 10 more here's 20 talents the boss says good job And, of course, the guy who has two is looking over and saying, well, of course he made more. Because that's what rich people do. Rich people just can make money. It's easy for them. So he goes to the guy with five talents. The guy with five talents says, you know, boss, you gave me five. I invested it. I made five more. Here's your ten talents. Boss says, good job. He goes to the guy with two talents. Who at the heart of it, his problem was that he didn't know he was rich. He believed he was poor when, in fact, he wasn't. So what did he do? He buried the talents. And so he said, boss, look, I kept these two talents safe for you. Here's your two talents. And the boss said, you're fired. You're fired because you fundamentally don't understand. You don't understand what is true. I gave you that to do something with it. He had an attitude of poverty. See, it's not what you have, but it's what you do with what you have that matters. You don't have to be responsible for what you don't have. You're not responsible to give what you haven't first been given. You're asked to be faithful with whatever it is that you've been entrusted with. And here's what I want you to, to understand today. Because I think this is key to changing our attitude. From an attitude of poverty to an attitude of wealth. From moving from believing we're poor to believing that we are in fact rich. And that is this. Wealth is not a destination Or a dollar amount, but an attitude of the heart. It's not a destination. If you're trying to find wealth, you'll never get there. If there's a certain dollar amount that you believe, when I have this in the account, then I'll feel secure and I'll be safe. You may get to that dollar amount, but then guess what? Things will have changed, and you'll always need more. Wealth is not a destination or a dollar amount, but it's an attitude of your heart. Now, some of you still aren't convinced. That you're rich. So I want to share a verse with you. Because this is ultimately, I think, what Paul is talking about. When he tells Timothy, command those who are rich. I don't think Paul was leaving anybody in that congregation out. And here's why. In 2 Corinthians 8-9, we read this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Did you catch that? Did you catch the change that God made? God broke his own son so that you could be rich. See, he who was rich became poor so that we who are poor might be rich your your wealth is not defined by how much is in your checking account or savings account or by how 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 much how much money you owe other people your wealth is defined by god's word and here's what god's word says jesus christ became poor so that you would become rich say it with me i am rich you are He who did not spare his own son, how would he also not spare anything else that he knows that you need? God is calling us to to change our attitude. How How would you be different this week? How would you view your finances differently? How would you view other people who have physical needs around you differently if you believe that you are rich. Now, there are two extremes of people I want to address for just a minute. Because anybody who, anytime anybody who does what I do starts talking about money, radars start going up. You know, The alarms start sounding. You know. Let me just talk to two extremes. One extreme of you are, are really uncomfortable and may even be a little perturbed that we're even talking about this. Uh, let me just talk to you for just a minute and say this might be your issue, not mine. Because if there's something poking you today, it may not be me. It may be the Holy Spirit. And I would invite you before you fire off an email to me to go to God in prayer and say, God, is there something, is there something in my attitude or my thinking that you want to change? And you might be thinking, well, if he's going to preach on this for five weeks, I'm, I'll, see you, I'll see you in November. And if you're sitting here thinking that, you're exactly the person who needs to be here. You need to be here. And it's not because I'm trying to get something from you. It's because I want something for you. Because God has something for you because of that. Now let me talk to the other side. And, and these are the folks who, who I think are the modern day pictures of the widow. Who anytime I talk about money begin to feel guilt ridden that they're not doing more than they already are. And you begin to feel like like maybe I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to you. (laughs) Because you're not responsible to give what you don't have to give. You're rich. And if everybody, if everybody would make this change in our attitude and be willing to do what we say we already believe, can you imagine the difference it would make in our community and in the world, the lives that would be touched? And the gospel would be spread, yes, by people sharing it with their mouths, but people would see it out of the generosity of the church. What a beautiful picture that would be. We can do it. It's within our collective power to do that. God's provided all the resources we need for that to be true. So here's uh, what you can do. I want to challenge you to do this on the back of your bulletin on the sermon notes. You'll notice a list of selected readings that I printed there for you. Um, We try to do this with each sermon series. We don't always do it. But if you haven't read much about what the Bible says about money, some of those books are written by by Christian authors and use Scripture. Some of them aren't. But just choose a book, get a sample of it online, and read one to see what it says. and, And learn along with us. I know many of you are taking financial peace university right now as well but read one of those and the second thing I want you to do is to make plans to attend the stewardship banquet that Joe told you about earlier that's coming up on October 12th from six to eight o'clock you can register online for that we want you to come because together we want to cast a vision that night for how we believe as a church collectively we can be more generous and we can see the world impacted in San Marco changed because of the generosity of us who have gathered here in this place that we call Southside Baptist Church. That's going to launch our last 75-day emphasis of the year. This is Southside's 75th anniversary, and we have focused different seasons all year on values that we believe have sustained us for 75 years and will propel us into the next 75 years. And so we're going to kick off 75 days of generosity beginning on October 12th. And here's the challenge. We're asking everybody in this church to be more generous during that 75 days than you've ever been before and to participate in the 75 days of generosity. So come to the Stewardship Banquet on October 12th to, uh, to, to, to be a part of that and find out more. And finally, something very simple and very practical. Because I really do believe That making a change in your attitude about money will make a change in your behavior with money. And making a change in your behavior with money can have a real impact on other people's lives. So we've got this change jar here. And here's what we're going to challenge everybody to do each week. Is from now on, through the rest of the year, you don't spend any change. Whatever change you get, you bring and we all put in the change jar. So it's not much money. You think that's just a few cents I dropped in there. But here's what we're going to do as a congregation. Everybody is going to save your change all week. We're going to put it in this jar each and every week. And when we get to December, we as a church are collectively going to bless someone. And we're going to see how our little bit of change can make a big change in somebody's life when we're generous. Sound like a plan? Now, now so those of you, there you go. See, he's already asking for money. Let me just assure you. The church is not keeping this money. We're going to give this money away to make a real change in somebody's life. But here's the truth. The biggest change that may happen may be in your heart. As you experience the blessing that God has for you, as you believe what he says is true, that though you were poor, he exchanged his wealth for your poverty So you are rich. Let's pray. This morning, if you've come here today and there's a poverty in your soul that has nothing to do with your checkbook, then much of what I've said today may not apply to you because you haven't received the wealth that God has for you in Jesus Christ. Uh, can I just tell you that the poverty of your soul will never be satisfied with a balance in your bank book? That God has provided for you everything you need in Jesus Christ. So there can be those who are here today who the world will look at and say, they're poor, but in fact, in God's economy, they're rich. And those that the world would say, that person's rich, and in God's economy, and in your own heart, you know, you're poor. The offer of salvation is free, but it costs Jesus everything. And it's for you. And so even this morning, you have the opportunity to exchange your poverty for his wealth. And it's not a fair trade. But it's a real trade. And so maybe as we stand and sing this song in a moment, you would just walk these aisles and say, I'm tired of being poor. I'm tired of evaluating my worth based on what a bank says I, I have, and instead just enjoy the truth of what God says is true about you that you can be rich in Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you today and we are truly grateful, and our words fall short for all that you've given to us that you would make such a great exchange. And that the body of Christ, as he was broken, may change in us so that we might be rich. Lord, help us to do no less. Change our attitudes, change our hearts, help us to see what is true. Not based on what the world says, but based on what your word says. Father, we ask you to move in this time. Draw us to yourself, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.